Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Courtroom 5, a web application for self-represented civil litigants. She's a PhD in electrical engineering and former college professor with a background in utilities and artificial intelligence. She has represented herself in court many times and is committed to empowering people to represent themselves effectively in court. She serves on the board of Responsive Law, a national advocacy organization focused on the rights of legal consumers and on the Leaders Council of the Legal Services Corporation, the nation's primary funding source for legal aid programs. She is a founding member of the Justice Technology Association, a trade organization for direct-to-consumer legal tech companies and nonprofits. Please welcome the CEO of Courtroom 5, Dr. Sonia Ebron. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Dr. Gary. So good to be here. Well, it's going to be an interesting story because you've gone from a PhD in electrical engineering and teaching as a professor to an entrepreneur a software as a service. How did that happen? What, what, you know, enthused you to create a new company from your PhD from electrical engineering? You know, I, it's actually the other way around. I went from an entrepreneur to an engineering college professor. I got my start here in Wake County with a junior achievement back in high school. Yeah, actually, I helped run three companies as a high school student with mentors from uh, some of the larger companies in the area. That's the way Junior Achievement works. And then I got derailed into college and engineering school. Uh, yeah, which was wonderful. Derailed from from entrepreneurship, yeah, right? Yeah. Where, what was what was one of those companies that you did as a as a as a kid? What was that? I remember we made. Um, Ansel Adams photos, uh, just oh, yeah. framed them. Black and, and white Ansel Adams, beautiful. Yep. Uh-huh. Absolutely beautiful. And we went door to door and sold them. You know, we manufactured them, quote unquote, manufactured them in the uh, warehouse where we all worked. Uh, and then just go door to door. And uh, So you were a door to door salesperson. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. With, my, with my team of, of other high school students. So that was one. I think another year we made uh, strip thermometers. So you have to heat this piece of plastic and build it and th- then apply a uh, temperature strip. And we, hmm. again, went door to door and, and, and sold wonderful experiences and just the basics of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you learned right very early on to make a product with a team yep. and then see if they sold, right? What did you learn from that door-to-door sales experience? You know, you have to start with the customer, uh, really, is, is what it comes down to. You have to figure out what need you are meeting. 
and frankly, for many of the, the, the folks we sold to, they just saw a bunch of high school kids on the on the porch, uh, you know, with the, with an adult mentor. And it's like Girl Scout cookies. You don't really want the cookies. You want to support the kids. Uh, right. so, so, you know, we sold a lot that way. But just understanding what needs you're meeting and just buying into that, getting, you yeah. know, get, just, just feeding that from the customer. So we sold a lot uh, in all those years. Yeah, so it's it's funny when when I run into the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts and they're selling, uh, having been the vice president of sales and marketing, I've trained sales teams. And when they walk to the door and they say, would you like to buy these Girl Scout cookies or this popcorn for the Boy Scouts? I go, well, what's it for? Right. And they go, they go what? Well, we go, why are you selling this? And I start asking them a bunch of questions and they get this look on their face. They turn to the adult like, how do I answer that one, right? Yeah. I said, you need to know your product. You need to know why you're selling stuff. What, what's the point? What's the purpose, right? So exactly. you learned that in high school, right? And, we and did, took that we forward, did. Right? And, yeah. and, I, and I'll tell you, we had, there are so many times when folks, our customer would ask exactly that. Uh, mm. And we got very practiced in talking not about the product, the physical product that we were selling. Oh, we're in junior achievement. We're learning entrepreneurship, right? Don't you want to support us? Oh, and here comes oh, the water. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you talked great. right at the heart, didn't That's you? That's right. That's right. Exactly. Learned it very yeah. quickly. So um, what took you into engineering? I mean, people may not tell from your voice, but you're you're not a young woman. I don't you know, want to point that out. But in a time back, you know, you went to NC State first. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Went to NC State, which is a great engineering school. But in a few years ago, this had to be a pretty interesting situation for you. It was uh, absolutely, you know, and being I, a being a, a, a woman of color. Yes, yes. You, you, I mean, I would guess there weren't a lot of women of color that were in your class. There were not a lot of black women in particular. Uh, <laughs> okay. I can tell you that, you know, and so engineering has always been uh, somewhat diverse in terms of you know, lots of Asian Americans, for instance, and so forth. Um, but there were not a lot of black women in particular. There weren't a lot of black students at NC State. Period. Frankly, mm. and certainly not in the engineering school. You, you know, luckily I was young enough. I'd gone to Enlo, uh, which is now, you know, gifted and talented, a wonderful science school. Mm. And so we'd always had a very diverse and very enlightened leadership, in fact, at, uh, at Enlo. And so there was certainly some culture shock going from that to NC State, which was not nearly as diverse. But mm. I'd gotten used to dealing with all kinds of, of people. Uh, as yeah. a uh, as a high school student. So when I got to college, oh, I dealt with the culture shock. Anybody would. But engineering is one of those things that also doesn't leave you much time to reflect on anything but the but the science. You are yeah. tossed into, you know, calculus and chemistry. And I mean, you got to you got to sink or swim. And so yeah. I did. You know, I, I, I swam and didn't leave me uh, much time for reflection on on some of those social issues. No, it's it's interesting because I, I experienced the same thing because I played tennis. I was in ROTC and I had an engineering degree that I finished in four years. I didn't have much time to do anything but study, do my work with the uh, Army ROTC and play tennis. So um, I, I really wasn't aware of many things that was going on around me. I was just and this was back in the uh, in the 70s. So there was a lot going on around me uh, when I first went to school. The Vietnam War was still on. So we were not very well received as Army ROTC students during the Vietnam War. Yeah, 
Yeah, I understand. I have to tell you, I I managed to correct that, though, as a doctoral student. Uh, I was Mm. really, you you know, it's getting a doctorate is an extremely privileged thing to do. It's uh, it's very rare. And all you really have to do, you take a few courses, many of which you've taken before. But most importantly, you get to sit back and, and do original research and write it up. And it's a it's a unique experience. It's a certain uh, there's a certain leisure that comes with it, um, necessary leisure in order to do that kind of work. And I had the opportunity to really reflect on what it meant to be a black woman in this culture. Uh, and so a lot of the things that I didn't have uh, time to think about doing a, mm. a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, I really got to th- think deeply about uh, there in Gainesville, Florida, uh, which had its own issues. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I did manage to to think deeply about those things. And I still carry some of those lessons with me uh, as I do my work now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you went to the University of Florida, got your Ph.D. in electrical engineering, which is Pretty amazing to me. It's pretty amazing because I, I mean I have a doctorate in business administration, but uh, even getting a master's degree in engineering scared the crap out of me. Just thinking about <laughs> it, it's no easy path. So that congratulations on that. But you just kind of put your head down and do the work, right? Yep. Yep. That's it. You do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, so, what were some of those reflections as you thought about things? You said you that uh, it's interesting that you use the word leisure. Because the, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question about that word. Leisure just means that you had the time to look off into the distance and think. Yeah, yeah. That what we're we're gonna call that leisure. You had the time, right, to think, right? So, what did you? What were you thinking about back then? Great question. Uh, so I was thinking about um, the topic of my dissertation for sure, right? Of course. <laughs> right? Uh, I actually built one of the first artificial intelligence applications to uh, mm. electric utilities uh, and published it, cited, you know, as one of the first, not necessarily the best, but the first, right? Uh, it got you your, look, it got you your PhD and that's the whole goal, right? Absolutely. I loved it. I loved it. And what people don't understand, it's not about accomplishing anything in, in a PhD or a dissertation. The The point of a dissertation is to add to the body of knowledge and to learn how to do research. That's right. That's right. So you want to get through that process as quickly as possible, regardless of whether I, my dissertation proved nothing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, but, but sometimes proving nothing is proving something. You got it. That's right. That's right. right. So yeah. anyway, what were you thinking about? Yeah, so I was thinking about that, and that was that was uh, relatively easy compared to the other challenges that I had. I did recognize uh, that I needed to understand the experience of African Americans and Black people globally a, a little bit better. Luckily, I was on a free ride as a doctoral student. I got mm-hmm. a fellowship uh, from the McKnight Foundation the 3M uh, founders, right? One of the 3M founders. And and so I was on a free ride, but what was beautiful about that fellowship is that it was designed to increase the number of uh, black PhDs Mm. uh, graduating from Florida universities. And so part of that fellowship was also some history, right? They wanted to help us understand our position and our opportunity as black PhDs and what we could contribute from that position. But I mean, they brought in historians you wouldn't believe uh, Mm. just to help us understand and correct, frankly, some of the limitations uh, the culture had placed on us psychologically. Right. Yeah, and just helped yeah. us understand there, were, there wasn't anything we couldn't do because we'd done it all. Right? <laughs> uh, black people have done everything there is to do pretty much um, throughout history. And so, you know, just, just some of that uh, education was very, very helpful in 
first of all, again, removing psychological limitations. I think that was necessary, frankly, for me to get that PhD. And secondly, just just informing us in a way that the uh, the educational system had not. We hear a lot about CRT and whatnot uh, all over the news these days, but understanding history, global history, is important for everybody, right? So if you don't hear, particularly about people you identify with, well, you end up thinking you, there's not a whole lot you can do because there's not a whole lot you've done, right? Uh, and so it was really important for me to just remove those psychological barriers uh, to move forward. So here I am, decades later, there's not anything I can't do, right? I pick up the toughest challenges there are because, you know, somebody's got to do them and I want to do them. But I, w- I want to go back for just a second before we jump into the the, the stuff that you're doing with Courtroom 5, because that's important, important work, too. But to go back to these psychological barriers that people just don't really understand. And I want to I want to share a learning that I had many years ago to kind of open up because, I, you know, I say this all the time. I'm a man. I can never understand what it would be like to be pregnant. I mean, there's certain things I can never understand. You just say, oh, I understand. No, you can't, okay? You can try to empathize, but you really can't understand. And I remember a story of a professor who did this exercise with students around different perspectives. And what they would do is they would put a blindfold on for three hours and and walk around the campus mm. and try to get a feel for what it's like. And uh, interestingly enough, one semester, he actually had a blind person in his class, Right. So uh, he asked very respectfully, he went to the blind person, do you mind if we do this exercise? And he said, sure, that's great. You know, and they went around and they did it. And so the experience was interesting. And the students talked about it afterwards. And the, and the blind person shared with them, he says, yeah, but you don't understand. He said, well, we just spent three hours. It was like, you know, we did this, we did that. He says, you don't understand. And I said, what do you mean? We don't understand. We just spent three hours. He says, but you can take the blindfold off. Yeah. Yeah. It matters. So I had this experience with prejudice. I lived in Scotland for two years, you know, and I was the, the, the Scots hated us Americans because uh, I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. I didn't understand it, but they hated us. I didn't know why they hated us. They just didn't. I understood later because my father was over there helping nuclear powered submarines with nuclear weapons in Holy Lock, Scotland. And that could be during this Soviet Union era, a, a, um, a target for right. nuclear weapons from the Soviet Union. Well, of course, they didn't want us there. That was their livelihood. That was their families. You know, I didn't understand that when I was young. I just understood that the Scots did not like us. And it made me realize I understood a little bit what it's like to be, you know, for prejudice to be held against me. However, like the blindfold coming off, I could come home. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like to experience that in your home? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what people of color, people of different uh, sexual orientations, people of different thought processes, the lot going on right now with people with with mental health problems and, and we have these prejudices against them, whatever it might be, we need to understand at least that sometimes we can only show compassion because we can't understand. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You remind me, I a uh, long time ago uh, did some work in uh, literacy, mm. helping people read. And I remember the training so uh, vividly because they pulled out a, they asked us to imagine going to a restaurant and um, they gave us a menu and asked us to order just like, you know, something I've done hundreds, thousands of times. And I looked at the menu and the damn thing was in Russian. And I didn't speak Russian, couldn't read Russian. And I'm like, 
<laughs> this is like, and, and they were like, okay, so imagine this is what your experience is all the time. That's what mm -hmm. you're dealing with here. You know, yeah. see these yeah. words and understand that they're supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to be able to do something and they can't do it. Right. Well, and then sometimes, so I've, I've shared this on some of my podcasts before. I have a reading disability that gets a real challenge. And, and when words don't make sense to me or I stumble or anything, uh, my producer has to fix it like almost every time that I read it. You saw me do it today. I just, I, I'll, I'll make a mistake. And it's being compassionate with myself when I do that, when we have these limitations, just say, okay, I have it, you know, just pause and start over and, and redo it. Well, I can do that with a reading challenge. Okay. I don't even like the word disability, by the way, mm -hmm. it's just a challenge. We have to overcome it. I'm sure you have them. Everybody yep. has these strengths and limitations, right? I don't like to call them weaknesses. They're limitations. They're That's real it. limitations, but you find your strengths and you go after it and you work with it. So you, you've had this, this strength of, of keeping your mind open and entrepreneurship and being, being exposed to it very early on. I want to, I want to transition that into like what you're doing today. You know, what, what the, you've gone from entrepreneur to electrical engineer to entrepreneur and the work that you're doing today with courtroom five, I, I remember seeing this and, and just like, wow, this is just really Cool. So you started something with your PhD on artificial intelligence and, and you've continued with that now with this software as a service with Courtroom 5. How did you come up with this? Tell me the path. It took me a while uh, to get back to entrepreneurship. So, you know, I got a doctorate and what do you do with a doctorate? You go teach. Right. Mm. So that's what I did. I loved it. Absolutely loved being in a classroom. Uh, wasn't so crazy about the faculty politics and was never much of a scholar. I did. I did it because it's part of the job. But it, wasn't, it, it, it quickly became apparent to me that I didn't have a love for the work. Um, mm. And so very soon I found myself back into entrepreneurship. Courtroom 5 is actually my third uh, entrepreneurial adventure, right? Uh, I was teaching electrical engineering uh, school in Florida. And, you know, because we hadn't learned at the time very much about solar power and I was in the sunshine state, I wanted to learn it. What's the best way to learn it? Teach it, right? Uh, and yep. so I went and got a, got a grant, uh, solar engineering lab I built on top of my engineering building just so I could learn the stuff and, and teach it uh, as well. And quickly realized uh, that there was a business opportunity in it. So I'm dating myself, but at the time we had, um, oh, probably a million motorhomes being licensed in the state every winter. Folks from, from, the, no from the north, when it got cold there, would come down south and uh, rent motorhomes. And they didn't want to stay in these stinky you know, RV parks overnight. They wanted to park on the beach or wherever but they needed to power their uh, rigs, right? And so anyway, got into business selling solar electric modules for motorhomes, made a little bit of money there, got completely derailed um, with some international travel. Solar was growing big globally. And so anyway, did that, quit my job, did some international travel, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. My government sponsor uh, went out, uh, lost, lost her position. And so my business was over. I went back to teaching college, right? A few years later, I came back out to do another utilities um, business in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and so, you know, I just kept going back and forth, back, back and, and forth. forth. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So the nice thing about a, a doctorate is you can um, 
uh, you know, go back and forth, right? Go well, you can always, you can always find a job. Exactly. You know, that's the thing. You, they, they always need PhDs to teach. So, yeah. 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 So, uh, so anyway, I did that. Um, that business lasted for 10 years, made a, made a, a little bit of money. Um, the, the, uh, recession 2008, 2010 or so had shut it down. It just ran out of steam. Uh, and then, you know, when I started thinking about business a few years later, let's go do something else. Well, I thought about it. Number one, I didn't want to do it alone anymore. That was hard, right? Mm. I had hired people and all that, but in terms of founding the company, it was just me. It was lonely. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I decided the, the third time to do something with my, with the co-founder, right? So I could have two big minds uh, working on this thing and didn't want to do any more electrical engineering stuff. I'd gotten bored, frankly, uh, with it and thought about what I knew how to do best. And turned out I had represented myself, uh, unfortunately, a couple of times and understood how to do that and realized there was a market there. So yeah. that's how that's how we got to Courtroom 5. So describe Courtroom 5 for people, because I think it's uh, it's an interesting thing as we've talked about it. And that, you know, a little advertising, there's nothing wrong with a little sales. And look, you, you should be able to do this well. After all, you are, uh, you know, in high school, you learn how to do door to door. So this is the new this is the new door to door. We come into people's homes through technology. Right. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got a huge access to justice crisis in the country. It is. Uh, well, really describe good, access to judgment. Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah. To, yeah. To, to justice. There are 30 million yeah. people uh, every year representing themselves in court. It's just not 30 million. That's 10% of the population. Exactly. Every year. Now, a lot yeah. of those people are in small claims court, uh, evictions, relatively simple cases, even though you may lose, you know, it's not very difficult to, to, uh, to understand. You're effectively dealing with Judge Judy. Uh, in those sorts of situations. Yep. We're all familiar with that. But there are, I think, about 7 million, 6 to 7 million people handling really, really tough cases, foreclosures, uh, medical malpractice, civil rights claims, debt collection, uh, ugly, ugly divorces, you, where you really, you really want a lawyer, right? This is what lawyers went to school uh, to be able to do. The problem these days and the access to justice crisis it's caused by the fact that your average lawyer, the average rate for a lawyer is 300 bucks an hour. Yeah. And this is in a nation where, last I heard, 40% of the American public can't find $400 in an emergency, mm-hmm. right? And so you got that many people needing a lawyer, unable to afford one. It's a, it's a threat to our democracy. And mm-hmm. I had actually experienced that. I had one of the highest salaries as a college professor on my campus and I got sued and couldn't afford a lawyer. I uh, couldn't afford a lawyer. This is a huge middle-class problem, right? And so I represented myself uh, because I got a PhD. I sort of was able to figure it out. But along the way, I saw lots and lots of people, uh, you know, disproportionately black and brown affected by this problem who didn't have the sort of educational advantages I did and were just, they had no chance. They're just they left no out idea. hanging. They were yeah. slaughtered. They were just slaughtered. Because yeah. most often there is a lawyer on the other side. Again, mm. it's not Judge Judy's court. You're going in against an experienced litigator who knows how to use all the tricks and you know tips and that they learn in, in, in law school to essentially shut you out if you don't have that legal education. You just don't even get a chance to be heard. Yeah. Um, and so, like I said, I experienced that a couple of times. I figured it out. Uh, how to represent myself, not uh, scared of any lawyer these days, but it took, a, it took some doing. 
you know, yeah, and, that's, yeah. and that's with the PhD. And you shouldn't have to have a PhD to be able to exercise a fundamental right as a citizen, as a resident here. You it's know? so complicated, though. I mean, I look, I, I, I think about it just like just signing up for Medicare. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can't figure it out. So that I mean, that's a bad example. But uh, it's recent experiences with stuff like that with systems. You just yeah. where do you start? That's exactly right. Exactly. I know right. where we start. Where I know where start? we start. Where do you we start? start? With courtroom five. That's where we start. <laughs> Courtroom5.com. That's there right. Go. There you go. So, so essentially what we do is simplify all of those complex legal procedures so that you can just get some guidance stepping through that and understanding mm-hmm. the, the, the process. You, you understand in these sorts of complex cases, again, it's not just Judy's court. You're actually going to file hundreds of technical legal documents right uh, before the facts even begin to matter in your case you've got to work with those procedures we help people understand the lay of the land uh, just get educated on the litigation process and be able to navigate those complex procedures so they can put their best foot forward in in court and you use our simple five-step process every time something needs to be filed Uh, and we've seen some some pretty stunning successes uh, with it so far well, you know, it's it's interesting because this podcast is about leadership, right? This is about leadership. And and what you're doing is demonstrating a level of leadership by using technology in, in a marketplace where people really, really need help. The other part of this is having a voice. You know, we want people to listen to this podcast that are looking for different ways to have a voice. And I, I'll tell you, uh, Sonia, I don't, I don't espouse different products and tell people you got to use this, you got to do, I don't do that. However, I will say this with, with courtroom five is with a need this big with a need, you know, when you're talking about 30 million people and over 20 million of them really need the help that can't afford it. They don't have a voice. They don't have a legal voice. They're left out to hang. And, and, and not only that, but the, the challenge is, is it's so complicated for them, even if they were to try to figure this stuff out, the other, the other people have the lawyers and it's, I don't know, it's like uh, me playing a tennis match against somebody else and I don't even have a racket. Exactly. There's just no way I'm going to yeah. win. So yeah. I love what you're doing. I love what, and I love the, the path that you've taken over all of this time from uh, a high school entrepreneur to a PhD to professor to PhD to professor. Well, anyway, it's back and <laughs> forth, right? I, it's great stuff. So what advice do you have for people other than obviously using your software, but that are facing this, you know, what, what, what would you tell people? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be, um, don't be intimidated. Mm. There, there, there is help, you know, oftentimes when you're in that situation, it's not just with litigation, it's with any situation where you're feeling outmatched, right? And you're in a competitive situation and you're just feeling unprepared for it. It's easy to psych yourself out right? Yeah. To take yourself out of the game. Um, and so the, 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 the most important thing to understand is number one, as you said, there is help available, right? But secondly, don't psych yourself out. The other side is going to do everything they can to intimidate you and, you know, uh, and to try to psych you out. Uh, don't, don't, don't do it to yourself, right? Fight that first and foremost. Mm-hmm. We try to do that at courtroom five, uh, just to, to build uh, our customers' confidence because they're already feeling beat up. They are not in this game oftentimes willingly, right? They are at risk of losing a home or 
losing access to their kids or, you know, some, some life altering consequence there, they've got to fight it, but they're completely overwhelmed and, and, you know, intimidated. That's the first thing that we have to address for them uh, is look, you know, you, you're going to get a lot of help here, but first you need to help yourself and get your mind right, you know, and understand that you can fight this thing. Yeah, I can imagine when you uh, were were sued for the first time that uh, as a professor, you probably went, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and, yeah. and, and I, I was like, oh, no. You know, once I found out I, I couldn't get um, legal representation, I was like, OK, hey, how difficult can this be? I'm going to go and tell the judge what happened and the judge will make the right decision and everything will be fine. And, and I learned it's not quite like that. It's right? not like that. Yeah. No, it's yeah. not just about the information. It's one person's word against another. There's motions to, to yeah. put in. There's legal stuff. So. So you just gave us some some advice, but I want to ask you, I want to finish off the podcast today uh, with the same question I always ask people, because the advice that I want to I want you to give now is for Sonia. If you could write yourself a letter 20 to 25 years ago or maybe 30 years in the past and you say, dear Sonia, what would you tell yourself? Quit wasting time. Quit playing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Quit playing. You got work to do. Um, mm. Find find uh, some work that is going to be satisfying to your heart. Uh, mm. You know, first and foremost, something that 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 um, speaks to your your desire to serve, uh, and go do that. Give it everything you got. Quit playing. Quit looking at all the opportunities you have. Uh, just pick that thing and go get go get some work done. Yeah. Okay. I love it. I love it. So uh, I usually try to finish these podcasts off now with uh, letting people know what the title is going to be. You know, and and there, there's a there's a bunch of them that I, I was thinking about. You know, uh, high school entrepreneur selling door to door. You know, that, that one kind of came to mind. You know, thirty million Americans that. Uh, need to represent themselves. That's a lot. I mean, you know, there's a big number. Um, having a legal voice through, through technology. You know, there's so many sound bites here, but I, I think that, um, I, I think the one that I like is what, don't psych yourself out. Yes. Yes. Don't psych yourself out. Don't and let's get the mindset out. right. You know, the work that we do in leadership, we talk in step one mindset is part of our, our step one and purpose in the seven steps of intentional leadership. And I think a lot of this has to do with all things that we do with getting our mindset right, if, if we can. It's like, if I don't know what to do, then get your mindset right and learn to ask questions. Exactly. That's so important. It's right? exactly right. Just have so, a child's curiosity about it and go learn it. There you go. Well, Dr. Sonia Ebron, our uh, guest today, PhD yeah. in electrical Ebron, engineering. By the way. Ebron. Yes. Ebron. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for correcting that. I always get the names wrong, so... Uh, we're just going to go with Dr. Sonia. There you go. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, Dr. Sonia. Thank you so much today for being our guest and sharing some of your wisdom about what's going on in our legal system and how we can give people a voice with uh, Courtroom 5. And we'll have information in our podcast notes to uh, point people in the right direction to help themselves where you can help them. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Dr. Gary. Thanks so much. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. <laughs>